As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hi everyone, my name is Tracy, also known as Miss Magitech, and you're about to listen to a Dungeons & Dragons-focused series I'm titling D&D Talks. These sessions are where myself and my dungeon master, Glorious George, talk about our experiences with various D&D subjects related to running a campaign. I've set this up so myself as a player can have an interview-like talk with George on his experience with each topic and the various campaigns that we're a part of in hopes that you, as a player or a DM, can get some new insight and inspiration for your D&D sessions. I normally stream these on my Twitch channel, but I know a lot of people out there prefer an audio-only experience, so these episodes will be clipped from the original live stream. Hope you enjoy! Hello, everybody. How's it going? Welcome to another week of our our just D and D Sundays. Sunday is just full of D and D every Sunday here at the uh, at the Magitech Glorious George household. Um, we uh, are doing another week of D and D talks this week. And it is, of course, the perfect time to talk about spooky stuff. Um, it's October. It's mid October, and Halloween is in. Two weeks from now? Less than two weeks now? Um, so, you know, if you're playing D&D and uh, you want to add some spooky stuff to your campaign, uh, tis the season, as they say. This is the perfect opportunity to do so. So I figured this would be a really good topic to talk about. It was uh, actually, I didn't even think about it. It was suggested by somebody in chat. So you, if you have something else you would like us to talk about, feel free to suggest it in chat and... Uh, we will we will always appreciate the the ideas that you guys uh, throw at us. So, how are you doing it's today, funny George? The things... Oh, I'm <clears throat> doing good. I was going to say it's funny the things we don't think about to talk yes. about, uh, and usually they're the things we know the most about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like this one, for example, was like one that I didn't really think about, and I was like, oh well, we've had this in our campaigns before. It's a perfect idea. So, it is it is pretty yeah. good. Um, but yeah, so, uh, yeah, I think we'll go ahead and get started and, and talk about this a little bit. Um, so I, I, I love the idea of horror in, uh, tabletop RPGs and we do, and you do see it a lot, not just in Dungeons and Dragons, but there are a lot of very popular TTRPGs that are horror focused. Um, obviously the biggest one is like Call of Cthulhu, which a lot of people play. It's a very popular one. And that one is very much based around the suspense and horror that a lot of people love. And um, 
and you know, and, and just all over the media, there's a ton of spooky uh, video games you can play, horror games, movies, books, all that stuff. Um, so it's definitely a a a popular theme to have in any sort of storytelling is to add that element of horror, suspense, fear. Uh, it's 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 one to definitely get your players um, invested uh, and and hooked to. Um, I think there are a few campaign settings that Wizards of the Coast has made that do kind of focus on the, the horror element, which we'll, we can talk about a little bit. Obviously, Curse of Strahd being one of my personal, well, my all-time favorite uh, D&D campaign um, is one that's a perfect example. So I think despite D&D being an adventure game by heart, uh, there are certainly ways to include elements of horror into your quests, storylines, and even just your adventures. You could You could do a horror adventure, so... So yeah, there's already a lot of scary stuff in D&D already, so how do you, you know, incorporate those elements into your game? That's what we're going to talk about today. So, George, what is your thoughts? Just I just want to get, like, your overall, like, opinion on the horror genre, because I know you're kind of a, a, a big fan of it in general. <clears throat> um, the horror genre in specific to D&D or just in general? Um, in specific to, to D&D, um, but just in general, I know you watch a lot of horror shows, uh, especially lately, so, um, I'm just curious, like, what your overall thoughts on it are. <clears throat> I, I think there's two schools of horror. There's the kind of jump out and scare you, and then there's that lingering, uh, I think Alfred Hitchcock said it. It's that horror that follows you home when you're done watching <clears throat> and waits for you in the shadows. And that's that's that kind of horror that I really get into. Uh, although I probably shouldn't because I, I already have trouble sleeping. <laughs> um, but with D&D, I think it's a natural inclination to lean into horror. And one of the reasons why is uh, a lot of people might not know this, but the game of D&D is based on uh, its its main emphasis is on schadenfreude, which is that idea that, you know, something bad happening to someone and it's funny, right? Mm -hmm. And with D&D, &D, what's great about it is that when you get a table of players and you come there each week, it's schadenfreude and someone's going to have a bad time to some degree. Someone's going to have bad things happen to them, but that's okay because it's their turn and then eventually it'll be your turn to have bad things happen to you and this cycle just kind of continues and then sometimes it's the dm's bad uh turn to have bad things happen to their campaign or their npcs <laughs> um which happens quite often yes uh, but when you have a game that's based on these bad things happening to you that idea of schadenfreude and horror they really mix because all you have to do is tweak the tone and the pacing and the stakes. And suddenly schadenfreude, which is funny, becomes terrifying. And that's really what you want to lean into. You want to get those moments when, ah, ha, 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 it's your turn. Something bad happened. Ha, ha, it's your turn. Uh, oh, no. That was much worse than we thought it would be. And suddenly it's not funny anymore. Suddenly it's tragic. Right. And that's also part of the dichotomy of horror and comedy is that, you know, a lot of times it's tragedy plus time equals comedy. Mm -hmm. But other times it's comedy 
minus time or uh, <laughs> it is uh, it, an interesting stakes becomes horrifying. Yes, the the equation is just a few away from one or the other of of, of yes. comedy or horror. So um, I think there are certain things in D anD D or just tabletop in general that can add a unique element to horror. I think the most closely related would probably be like a horror book, a horror novel. Um, so like obviously video games, um, if you're playing a, a game like Dead Space or um, Outlast or something that, that you get the, there, a video game is kind of an immersive experience. So you, it's very easy to get a certain atmosphere and environment to make you scared. Same thing with a movie. Uh, but storytelling has its own elements of adding creepy stuff and making somebody really feel scared. Um, so uh, I, I, don't, I don't know. I, I want to talk a little bit about like the benefits of storytelling in D&D and what you can do uh, as a storyteller to make your players more scared. Um, just like whether it be like narrative kind of descriptions and things like that. <clears throat> Certainly with descriptions... Um, but also not with descriptions. Sometimes just a little bit is enough to scare your player because you let their mind run wild. You tell them that they see a body, that they see insects crawling all over it, and that's going to linger in their head, and they're going to start building that out into something far worse than you could ever describe. And the more you lean into that, I try... To actually, when I'm doing horror, not use as many visual aids. Because mm. I let that theater <clears throat> of the mind build it up. And I think one of the strengths of D&D when it comes to horror is that with D&D, you can play with a person's perspective. And you can also play with time. Those are both the things as a DM that you're completely in control of. So what a player is seeing, what what the timing of the events are, you have full control of that as a DM. So uh, one of the things you'll see a lot in Curse of Strahd is picking out a player and giving them a vision of something horrible. And a lot of times when you do that to a player, they're going to ask themselves, why me? Why did I get picked to see this horrible thing? Is this an omen? Is this a warning? And that starts to racket up the tension of, am I going to be next? Is someone else going to be next? Am I going to fail to save them? Uh, and slowly bringing that out. The other fun aspect of horror and D&D is that you can also ratchet up the stakes and the challenges. Because, you know, a lot of times when you do an encounter, you want it to be balanced. You want to make sure that the players can take on what they're facing. With horror, you don't really have to worry about that. Just make sure that you make it clear that... Make it clear when they can't deal with the problem. Make it clear that sometimes they have to run away. And they will. And they'll be terrified when they fail to run away. <laughs> um, yeah. I yeah. I can think of some very specific examples of that. Um, I won't I won't get into too, de too much detail for, for spoiler reasons, but... Uh, I just remember, you know, uh, in Curse of Strahd, for example, when you see um, your character can envision, or there, there's a moment where you're passing these like gallows, and you can see 
a player, and I guess the DM could t- technically pick the player that they want to pick, and like you see yourself hanging on these gallows, and it's like it's scary because again, you're right, you can pick a player, and then they start thinking, why is that me? Does that mean something? Is that a bad omen? And they will that will kind of mess with their mind a bit, um, and, and add that that horror element to it um, because they were picked out and they don't know what that means, and even the other players will wonder what that means. So it's it's kind of it, it's interesting. Um, so that kind of leads me to talking about um, kind of these different pillars of horror uh, in in general. Um, I, I I know there's a lot of people out there who will kind of you know, really tackle and dissect, uh, like, a good horror story. And um, I think that some of the main pillars of it would be fear, suspense, surprise, and mystery. Um, and I want to talk about maybe each of those uh, points and, and how we can add it into, uh, like, a D&D story uh, and, and how that helps make people afraid. <laughs> um, There's actually, I, I, that sounds awesome. There's mm-hmm. also a fifth pillar that I think you left out, which we'll get to afterwards. Uh, is it, like, spoilers or, or something like that? Or is there... Nope. Okay. Nope. Oh, okay. It's not spoiler-driven. Okay. Okay. Um, but, um... Let's start. Okay. Um, I... Well, I, I actually want to talk about suspense first, because I think that's one of the more popular ones that people think about when they are, uh, you know, just talk about storytelling in general. Uh, there's a lot of suspenseful thrillers that you can experience, uh, you know, a lot of books that I've read that are more suspense-driven. Um, what's an example of, like, adding suspense to a, a, a quest or uh, a campaign in, in D&D? Well, first, let's distinguish between fear and suspense. Mm-hmm. What do those mean to you? For me, um, fear is having a, is something a bit more tangible. So a spider. I'm afraid of spiders. You add a spider in front of me, that's scary. I'm scared. I run away. Um, suspense to me is more not knowing what's coming. Um, the unknown. The unknown. Okay. Yeah. So those are the kind of differences that I see as far as fear versus suspense. <clears throat> suspense, it's all about setting up the atmosphere of what could be. And that it kind of goes with mystery, but with suspense, it's more about, uh, like, immediate mysteries. What's behind that door? What's in those shadows? What's lurking right outside the window? That's that kind of suspense you want to build on. And with D&D, it's all about setting up the right atmosphere, setting up the right, even just the music, mm-hmm. making sure that that's right. And another thing is leaving leaving the players time to linger you don't necessarily need to rush into everything Mm. let them ponder about what's outside tell them you hear scraping on the window and that scraping just keeps happening and just be silent for a bit and let them think about what is that maybe look at your notes and if you're a DM and you're very cruel maybe (sighs) just go ahead and Roll some dice and let the player sit there for a moment. The dice didn't mean anything, but they now are wondering, what is that outside the window? And why did he have to roll dice for it? Yep. What was it doing 
Was that a stealth check? Was that... Was that a saving throw? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. And and let that just linger. And that's that, to me, is the key to suspense. Um, which I think does lead into surprise, of yes. course, when that thing jumps out at them. Yep. Jump um, scares. One of my... Yes. One of my <laughs> least favorite things about modern horror is jump scares, of course. Yes. And one of my most infuriating tropes that I hate seeing is the jump scare of the cat. Uh, certain movies, especially if you ever see the movie uh, When a Stranger Calls, uh, the remake, it's like 90% of that movie is a cat scaring a poor woman because every time she walks around the house... She'll be like, oh, what's in this closet? Oh, and the cat jumps out and runs away. And it's like, that's 90% of the movie is that same cat just torturing this poor owner. Uh, and that that is definitely a surprise. I do at times like to do that to my players and surprise them with things that aren't as scary, but suddenly leap out at them. Mm -hmm. Like, and as you open the door, make a deck save. And they'll, oh my god, I have to make a deck save. You know, they roll some dice. They're like, what is this? And I'll tell them, a cat leaps at you and you take one point of scratching damage. <laughs> and, you know, just kind of breaking tension a little bit with that and surprising them. And, of course, the surprise when it's absolutely something deadly waiting there for them. Yeah, so... you. You never know what it will be. I, I like the, the element of surprise. Um, and and then I guess that leads to the other one, mystery, which is a bit more, I guess, open and ambiguous because... I would say mystery as opposed to surprise and suspense. Like, suspense is, I don't know what's behind the door. Mystery is more, it's larger and it's plot-driven. So yeah. Why is this place like this? Mm -hmm. What is the purpose of this? And the reason why mystery is so important is because what you really need to do in horror, and sometimes this is very difficult to do depending on who you play with, you need to break up your players and you need them to follow breadcrumbs a little bit. And why? Well, that's because players especially ones who are used to video games for anyone out there dming a group of gamers like i am they often think in terms of what is most optimal mm -hmm. what is the safest thing to do and if you want to know the safest thing to do in a horror setting you stand in the center of the room back to back and you both hold knives and you just watch for anything around you that is the most optimal thing to do however if you were to watch a two-hour movie where the main characters did that, while their chances of survival are high, the movie will also be very boring. And they themselves will probably be very bored. But they'll be very safe. With mystery, by giving them that mystery of what is this place? What's happening? Where's our friend? Give them that mystery and, and uh, you know, be don't be afraid to, as a DM to say to them, hey, guys, don't be scared to break up. Mm -hmm. or split up sometimes i'll do that to my players and my players will protest and i'll tell them if you split up i am not going to punish you for that yeah and i'll tell my players that outright because if i don't they'll think well if we split up he's gonna murder one of us mm -hmm. 
and that might be true but if i do murder you it'll be because of a challenge rating that was appropriate to one player or two players depending on how you split up but if right. everyone just sticks in a group it's impossible to really scare them yeah right <clears throat> yeah but give them that mystery encourage them to explore and find it and that brings us to the last thing fear as they're exploring this mystery when they're feeling that suspense and when they encounter that surprise of the big horrifying creature emphasize what that creature is capable of give them a demonstration of its power of its lethality that's why npcs are a wonderful thing to have because when they see an npc suddenly drop dead from <laughs> this creature then that it's... tells them yeah they need to run and yeah. that's where fear is, is when they know that they can't deal with something. Yep. But they might be forced to. Yep. Um, uh, yeah. uh, now, what's the, the last one that you were uh, mentioning? The, the final? The last one I touched on briefly, but it's actually comedy relief. <laughs> yes. The reason why is because with that, comedy relief, I find it so helpful to use it and to use it just before I spring the surprise or the fear. Let them have a moment of brevity. Let them have a moment where they think, ha ha, this is a fun game. I'm safe. <laughs> and then take it away. <laughs> that, that's, that's pretty good, actually. It, it's a very important <laughs> aspect. Uh, Chris Perkins talks about this in a lot of the stuff he writes and talks about when it comes to Curse of Strahd. That those moments of comedy relief are integral yes. to horror. Um, and you'll see it in horror movies. There's a lot of black comedy and things like that in them because they want you to relax because when you're relaxed, you're going to notice how much faster your heart's beating later and how much more scared you are later. Yep. I always joke about this. Um, uh, we, I had an experience with this with a, a Vampire the Masquerade um, like a, a event that I went to. Um, where they take you through this like kind of horror thing. Anytime I go through any sort of a haunted house or something in, in real life, I, I laugh at things because I always say the laughing is my coping mechanism for how terrified I am because um, I can't help it. It's my initial like reaction to something. I I'll laugh. Um, and I, I think that that is very appropriate for horror because – it's uh, it's a way for some people to kind of cope with <laughs> the scary shit that they're facing. Because <laughs> it's like, I'm just going to laugh this off. It's fine. It's fine. So uh, I did I did not think about that um, as <laughs> as an actual pillar to your to your horror story is adding a bit of comedy. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. Um, I I'm going to actually literally add that to to my list here. I want to talk about another thing that you brought up um, when talking about the mystery element. Um, and this, I guess, is a bit more mechanical uh, to, a, to the story itself when you're playing D&D. &D. Um, how do you make a way to not... Like, you mentioned this a little bit, but if you want to make a spooky, you know, uh, adventure, how do you tell your players, like... I'm not going to screw you over, but you need, like, but you want to add these elements of horror, like splitting up a party. We, we see it in, in, in some things like Scooby-Doo, for example. Hey, gang, let's split up and solve the mystery. Um, how do you kind of let your players know that you're not 
trying to ruin them, but they kind of need to go along with some of the things that you're maybe incorporating into into a horror story. The first place to do this is when you're beginning your campaign and you're getting your players buy-in. Tell them the kind of game you want to play. Mm-hmm. Tell them the kind of story you want to tell. And let them know what kind of things that they can expect. And, you know, when you get their buy-in that, hey, this is a horror story, or, hey, you know, this is going to be a story where I try to pick you off one by one, letting them know that gives them the kind of... It allows them to think, okay, this is part of the game. Um, I, I mean, I imagine... You know, in um, imagine if you were playing Among Us and everybody literally stuck together the entire time. It does happen. Mm-hmm. And there are things, of course, you can do as a DM, just like in Among Us, to drive people apart. Um, giving them urgent quests in two different places is a great example. But even still, when most people play Among Us, they know this is a game where a bunch of us are going to die. Mm. And that's the point. If your players know that going in, that's a big help. The other thing I'll do, uh, because sometimes what I'll do is I'll be playing a game and I'll be telling a story that is not horror, and then one day I'll have a horror session or I'll have a horror theme. And at that point, I don't have my players buy-in, but I will tell them outright, guys, this is going to be a very scary place. This is going to be a very scary session. Don't be afraid to split up. Don't be afraid to do these things. The encounters are still going to be scary, but they will either have a way to run away or defeat individual monsters when they're confronted one-on-one. And is it a gauntlet? Is it high stakes? Sure, but by telling them that, guys, this is what's happening, it allows them to kind of ease up and play less optimally. Um, And it's okay to just say that. Because, mm-hmm. you know, if they know what they're in for, if they know what this is about, they're not going to feel punished when a character gets attacked or killed or has to run away. And I think that's the most important thing is making it sure that they're complicit. What you don't want them to mm-hmm. feel like is, oh, I decided to go off on my own and the DM punished me by killing my character. Mm-hmm. No, if they know that that was a risk... And they know that that was encouraged. They're going to feel like they were part of the story. And that's yep. always really important. Yep. There's there's always that, you know, that ongoing stigma of splitting the party. Uh, and you never split the party. Um, but right. I think that there is always, there sometimes is a time and place for that. And um, I, I, would, I would agree that if a DM communicated that with me, I would feel a lot better. I, of course, I'd still be scared because there's, with with anything in D&D, there's a risk. Um, but I uh, I would feel better to know that, you know, that, that stigma isn't necessarily there um, in, in an, a certain encounter. And that's not for everything, obviously. But uh, when we're, we're talking about these kind of more spooky uh, encounters that you may have in your campaign, um, that's something to, to consider. Um, which brings me to my next question. Um what are some good uh actually i'll i'll say like what what would you say is the best way to get your players invested in this kind of idea um say uh you're maybe running a 
you know, adventure group and you want to add one, you know, a haunted house of sorts, um, what can you do to get your players kind of invested in this this horror element? <clears throat> uh, NPCs are a great way to do that. Giving them high stakes objectives, like mm-hmm. you need to go in there and you need to find somebody that's important to you, or uh, you're trapped here unless you figure out how to escape. Giving them that kind of thing... Another great way of doing it is ease them into comfort first. This is something uh, we recently ran a noble party game where I invited all the nobles to a large mansion slash like hotel resort. And it was a horror session and it didn't actually go as well (laughs) as I would have liked because my players weren't prepared for it. They... They played very optimally because I did not prep them or give them any warning. And that was my mistake. Mistakes happen as a DM. But I learned a valuable lesson there. What I really should have done is I should have eased them into comfort. I should have made the place an actual resort and put around the place a lot of things for them to do that were pleasant and enjoyable. And then wait for them to go to bed at night. And when they all go to bed in their separate rooms, they wake up to the doors all locked. <laughs> Maybe some of them wake up with creatures in their room, and then you bring in the horror. Let mm. them, you know, force them apart so that way they can then explore and try to find each other. Maybe when they wake up, the entire mansion has rearranged its layouts. Maybe things aren't where they were supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And that that's what I would do if I had to run that again. And one day I will. I will do something just like that because I, I did. I learned a valuable lesson from that. There's there's that moment where you got to ease them in and then you got to make it clear. If you're going to surprise them with this being a hard adventure, you need to wait until everything is just right for yourself as the DM and then spring it on them. Yeah, uh, that's that's um, that's uh, definitely a way to get people invested, and, and I like it a lot. Um, that that's a, a really good, that's some good advice actually, um, and I guess that comes best from from learning and, and experience. So that's that's pretty cool. Um, what just in general, what what are your kind of top places to do kind of a spooky horror setting. I know, you know, there's there's several examples of of haunted mansions or or spooky mansions in D&D. Um or castles, yeah. Or castles. Uh like what are some just ge- general like what are your maybe favorites or ones that you think would be cool or you're interested in doing? Um uh, I love yeah, of course the haunted castle or mansion. I absolutely love the wilderness. Uh being out in the middle of the woods or tundra uh or even a jungle and and letting them kind of uh explore and you know figure out what they're going to do when they have no other options um I'm trying to think other places that have really enjoyed horror as a setting uh really towns <clears throat> are great just urban settings where yeah if you get there especially in Curse of Strahd we see a lot of this where the entire town 
has that feeling of tension and horror and the citizens themselves are broken by it mm -hmm. it gives the players that chance to take it in and realize we're not in kansas anymore this mm -hmm. is bad uh but yeah uh, to be honest lots of places could be scary yeah uh, I, uh, I always go for the classics myself i uh one that i would be really interested in is doing something out at sea um I, I oh, that's a good one. Yeah, uh, you know, because the sea is pretty horrifying in itself, and there are lots of scary things out there. And I just picture being out on sea, out at sea at night, um, and just looking out into the vast like abyss that is the yeah. ocean, and and lots of scary stuff that can happen there. I don't know, actually, I've never played Ghost of Salt Marsh, though. I know that there's not a lot of ghosts in Ghost of Salt Marsh, from what I've heard. The XP level three <laughs> video that I just that just came out recently, where it's like there's actually no ghosts in Ghost of Salt Marsh. Um, uh, but uh, you know, I I, I would love that to do mean it. There can't be. Yeah, that's true. You're that's more true. than welcome to uh, mild spoilers for Ghost of Salt Marsh. If anyone's planning on playing it, mm -hmm. uh, just mute me for the next thirty seconds. But uh, here we go. Ghosts of Saltmarsh, all the ghosts are uh, an illusion that uh, is created by, like, it's some sort of defense that someone set up. Got it. There yeah. is absolutely no reason why you can't, on top of that, introduce an actual ghost that is actually haunting the place, who then maybe you and that illusionist both end up in the same pit of horror. Mm -hmm. as the ghost is not pleased with these imaginary ghosts and has decided to kill everybody in the town. You are more than welcome to do that. Take that one for free. My God. <laughs> Doomshy, who's running Ghost of Salt Marsh right now, furiously taking notes. <laughs> it reminds me a lot of a Scooby-Doo episode or a Scooby-Doo movie. I forget which one it was. Oh, actually, hold on. There's actually someone, uh, one of my favorite YouTubers made a video about Scooby-Doo as horror um uh and it was actually saying how like this was really great and i i remember another time i'll bring this up mm -hmm. but yeah there's there's a scooby-doo <laughs> movie that came out where it was something where it's like it was actually like there was like the fake ghost the guy in the mask and then there was actual ghost and actual zombies that came out and it was terrifying when i was a kid <laughs> i freaked out um anyway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there, there are definitely um, some pretty cool settings that you could make, you could draw from 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 D and D to to add for horror. Even *Ram of the Frost Maiden*, which I know is pretty spooky, being out in the wilderness yeah. and in the cold is pretty scary as well. Um, Sh uh, Shadzar actually asked a pretty good question in chat, and this is something um, I know I've talked about in previous uh, D and D talks. But why try to use D and D for horror when it isn't made for it? Uh, and there are other systems out there better suited to it. Um, uh, I think that's one that we can address, George. There's that's and it's somewhat of a leading question because it, <laughs> it implies that you know why use D and D when there's other systems better suited for it. D and D is suited for whatever you want to make it suited for. Yep. You can add things, you can take things away, you can interpret the rules any way you want. You can make home rules that make it extremely hard driven. Why do this instead of something else if you feel like it? And if yeah. you don't want to, that's quite all right, too. Um, I think the big thing for me is that I love... I, I, You know, all my players know this system, and I want them 
to be able to play very easily. I don't want them to learn a new system and all that stuff. Uh, at the same time, I think it's really important where, um, you know, for me, I love to jump genres quite a bit. I love to be playing a campaign that is one way and then dive right into horror. And, you know, you can't really do that. You can't say to your players, hey, we're playing D&D, but uh, I want you to make all your characters in insert horror system here. You know, so I just... The other thing I do is I read... Uh, I look into other horror systems, and I just pluck the things I like and then bring them into D&D. Get inspiration, um, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I, again, like, this is something that we've talked about a bit uh, in previous D&D talks that we've done. Um, for our very first D&D talks was uh, doing a more role-play-focused D&D, and a lot of people yeah. had the same question of... Well, why are you playing D and D for role play when there are other systems that are way better for role play? And you could say that for just about anything. For anything, uh, maybe some people who are playing Vampire the Masquerade have a epic quest that they go on suddenly. Not not necessary, but it's like, well, why are you doing that in Vampire the Masquerade? It's meant for role play. You can do whatever you want with whatever you want, and um, I think that. You know, I, I always encourage people to try other TTRPGs because I play a lot myself, not just D&D. But I've played the most of D&D, and I know it's a pretty accessible system for a lot of people, um, and people have been playing it for years. So, uh, you know, I I'm already a fan of D&D and, and the world and the yeah. universe, So, and so are my friends. So we, you know, choose to add these kind of elements into our game because we are already kind of a fan of D&D, uh, but that doesn't mean that Call of Cthulhu or uh, Ten Candles are, you know, out of the question. Those are other TTRPG yeah. systems. Kids on Bikes, which also can have horror. Um, those, too, can be very much, um, you know, you, we can play those, too, but right now, like, it's like, well, we already are playing D&D, &D and we want to add these cool elements. It's it's not that the system hinders it at all. I would never say that D&D... Yeah. &D, uh, like, Curse of Strahd is a perfect example of a gothic horror setting for Dungeons & Dragons. Um, and I don't think any of the mechanics of the, of the system hinder you from adding these kinds of things to your campaign. You may have to homebrew and tweak certain things, but in general... Uh, yeah, it's, uh, that's just kind of my overall thoughts on... on that whole, you know, discussion of why do this if there's this. <clears throat> uh, my problem with running into D&D Pathfinder as a horror setting, I'm sorry, uh, Durth uh, Delso asked a good question. Mm -hmm. um, his problem with running D&D Pathfinder as a horror setting is getting his group to buy into the idea. He inevitably ends up with a paladin arguing that they're immune to fear. It's quite all right that your paladin is immune to fear effects. If they are immune to fear as a concept, that's quite all right, too. But your paladin's probably going to die, and that's <laughs> all right. And when that paladin who felt no fear dies in front of the party, make sure that it's vicious and horrible, and that the rest of your party thinks, oh, dear Lord, we need to get out of here. Because the thing is, uh, what makes other systems really good in my opinion, and like the core thing that I see repeated in horror systems, uh, even VTM has this, Call of Cthulhu has this, is the big thing about those systems is that there's an emphasis on things like investigation, 
persuasion, insight, but players' attacks are really low, players' health is really low, and there's an insanity system usually somewhere in the game. And insanity is already present in D&D. As an optional rule, you have it madness that you can build up. You have permanent and indefinite madness that you can give players. I love rolling on those tables. Uh, you'll, If you keep watching my campaigns, you'll see me resort to that table. I have it resorted to so much that I actually have it bookmarked on <laughs> D&D Beyond to pull up all the madness tables because I'm, I'm going to use those a lot. But the big thing I do to make it scary and to follow the emphasis laid out by other systems is I make sure that the things that my players are facing are much higher in challenge rating because it's okay that they're much higher in challenge rating. The whole point is that these things are scary. You know, Curse of Strahd does this uh, right from the start. Um, Death House is scary, yes, but it's kind of balanced. But once you leave Death House, one of the first places you'll encounter and you'll hear about is a place called the Old Bone Grinder. And the Old Bone Grinder is probably meant for somewhere around level 5 or 6, if I remember off the top of my head. Mm -hmm. Yet, your players are going to find out about it at level 3. And when they go there, they're probably going to die. And if your paladin is immune to the concept <laughs> of fear and refuses to back away, that's all right. They're going to make pies out of him. <laughs> and the players might be walking down the street one day after they've escaped and find a pie, but inside of it will be his crest or his holy symbol <laughs> baked into that pie. And that's quite all right. I can't think of a better way. And horror is filled with that trope of the macho soldier or the brave hero that is completely eviscerated. Mm. It happens, and that's okay. Yep, yep. Um, yeah, I, I definitely think um, there is ways to incorporate any aspect of a D&D player to uh, yeah. become, uh, you know, uh, accustomed to a horror setting if you want to, you know, whether it be maybe just for one session. It's, it's Halloween coming up and you're like, hey, I want to, you know, for this week's D&D session, I want to do something scary um, for, for my players. Or if you're just planning on running a straight up horror campaign, which you can do in D&D. It's not impossible. Um, it's just a matter of incorporating certain things that you, you know, want to add into the, the setting and uh, making sure your players are, are ready for that. Um, so, yeah, I think that that's uh, some pretty good advice and and good good questions in general from everybody. Uh, very yeah, much, thank you so much for those. Yeah, very much appreciate it. Um, so, uh what other things that I want to talk about? Um, <clears throat> I always love to talk about uh, just kind of general ideas of things um, to get people inspired. Uh, do you have any favorite monsters to add into a horror setting or any? Because, again, D&D has a lot of scary stuff, a lot of scary monsters. One of my favorites, um, I do love ooze creatures, and I do love demons, uh, but one that I'm really uh, drawn to right now is the, I believe they're called the 
Sorrow Sworn or the Forsworn. Let me just double check. But um, they're a type of creature that is introduced in Morden Caden's Tome of Foes, um, which specifically they are from. Um, where are they? Where are they? They're from the Shadowfell, and they. They're just so disturbing looking, and they are so <laughs> unlike anything that you would normally see in a fantasy setting. They look something more like out of dead space when you see these creatures, uh, and they are called the Sorrow Sworn. Um, there's the angry, the hungry, the lonely, the lost, and the wretched, and these creatures are just so disturbing looking they're so gothic and i think bringing them into a story especially one where the players are expecting you know goblins or wolves and stuff like that and then they see something like this it will really throw them for a loop Hmm. Um, i love breaking sort of genres let the players uh kind of realize that they're in a different setting but they're still wearing armor and carrying swords and spells and stuff like that but realizing that oh my god we're in dead space or we're in uh you know uh john carpenter's the thing you know uh that's what i really like to do yeah i i love it i i there are so many different types of monsters and uh creepy things um that uh, you can you can add into a story that um, isn't just your your typical uh, spooky things. Um, uh, one thing I realized when I was running Curse of Strahd, and I you know was looking at all of the encounters, there are a lot of different types of ghosts <laughs> in D and D. Like there's not just there are ghosts, there are banshees, spirits. there are spirits. Banshees. Uh, there and I was like poltergeist, and they all have different reasons for existing. Um, I think there's the one yeah. that you encounter, like Petrina. Um, she's a banshee, I think, and her she becomes a banshee for a completely different reason than somebody would be a ghost or something. And I was like, holy shit! Like there's all different types of supernaturals that <laughs> I didn't actually think about, and there's reasons for why they exist, and you can there's a story for why they became this type of supernatural as opposed to another or something. And, um, I don't know. I, that's personally my favorite type of, um, monster in a horror setting is, is a ghost or a geist or a poltergeist or any of those things I thought, I think is actually really cool. So yeah, it's my personal favorite. Yeah. There's so many good ones to choose from. Um, Another one I really like is uh, it's uh, actually, I believe, also introduced in Morden Kamen's Tome of Foes, uh, the Oblex, which is a type oh, of yeah. ooze creature that can create other, it can create mimics of other people. Yes. Uh, and at later levels, the adult <clears throat> and elder Oblex, the elder Oblex can create quite a few impersonations of other people. You might be in a town, and everyone in that town is an Oblex. Not just a Oblex, but a single Oblex. The entire town could quite literally be out to get you. Uh, I think something like that, and making it seem like a ghost story, like, for instance, instead of 
you know, it's an Oblex, but you could take the Oblex, place it inside of a haunted house, and all of the horrifying ghosts that the people see, you know, you get this uh, a theme, especially if you've watched Netflix has uh, The Haunting of Hill House and now The Haunting of Bly Manor. Uh, in both shows, there's like this theme that the house itself is evil and that the house itself is trying to kill its inhabitants. Well, maybe this house is an elder Oblex. Maybe all the ghosts that the people are seeing is these creations of the house to consume people. Uh, and then the Oblex, when the players finally encounter it, that's the house's heart, and they need to slay it in order to end this haunting. That's a great way of doing it, and I, I think I'll definitely do that one day. One day when Tracy has forgotten. Uh, yeah, I was like, oh my god, that <laughs> that sounds horrifying. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All these things are waiting for you one day. You're one not going to know when I'm going to spring them on you, but I will. Oh my god. <laughs> uh, Dark Soul 76 uh, said earlier, when you talked about mystery being a pillar of a horror genre, I think it carries over into the encounters too. I don't think that in order to run a successful horror game, you need to make... The scary things overwhelmingly powerful. That's true too. I think no, you don't necessarily need to. Um, you know, if you want your players to be able to fight it, of course. And there are plenty of instances in Curse of Strahd where you're meant to be able to fight those creatures. Yep. Um, the mystery could be what this creature is. It could be why is this creature attacking, or where did it come from, or whatever its tactics. You can always do things like that. Um, I just encourage the idea of scaling them up uh, only because that's a great way of instilling fear but by no means do you have to if your characters are already scared then give them something they can fight and let them uh, that's the other thing is part of levity and, and comedy relief is letting them be able to defeat that monster so that way they feel brave or they feel at least a little bit safer. Because now that they feel safer, now we're going to ratchet up the tension again and introduce something that's not safe. You know, it's this cycle. Mm. Uh, scare them, mm. let them overcome their fears, scare them again. Yep. If they're just always terrified, at some point they're just going to say, what does it matter? We're all going to die. And then your campaign's off the rails. Right. Yep. I think just in general, uh, and it's totally fine because... Uh, D&D, I think a lot of people look at it based on the mechanics of it, the challenge ratings, the, you know, you know, leveling out encounters and making sure everything's all good. But it's still, at the end of the day, a tabletop role-playing game. And, uh, you know, thinking about the story aspect uh, of, of your campaign is also really important uh, for the DM and for the players. It's hard sometimes to get your players to, to think about the story rather and just the mechanics. Well, I'm a cleric, so... Undead things don't scare me, and or a paladin. But it's like, there, you know, think about the the storytelling aspect of it for both DM and players, um, and what can happen to your paladin or your cleric, or uh, you know, what kind of things can even haunt them uh, at the end of the day. Yeah. So the other thing is, turn undead uh, should never be, especially if they're dealing with ghosts. Turn Undead is great because it gives them a slight pause, but if I was a ghost 
and you did turn on dead, I'm going to sink into the floorboards, I'm going to run through the wall, and you're never going to see me for at least the next minute. And then that cleric has to wait until a short rest or a long rest to use that again. And that means, okay, guys, <laughs> we have a little bit. Door is still locked. We still can't leave this place because the house won't let us because the house is evil. Mm-hmm. But all we've did is made the undead go away for a little bit. <laughs> yes. And that's fine, especially uh, some ghosts, uh, I believe like Poltergeist, for example, is invisible. So mm-hmm. when it shows back up, you know, yep. you're not going to know it's there. Um, yep. Another great thing to do is if the players with ghosts, if they, let's say you send a ghost encounter after them. I love sending a weak ghost encounter, letting them kill it, and then sending in something stronger. Mm-hmm. Lyft, for example, mm-hmm. I believe was a spirit that you guys were fighting or a ghost. And then after you did enough damage, I upgraded him to a poltergeist and had him come back and try to destroy the entire house. Yeah. Because that's, to me, that's kind of that beat of the ghosts are getting stronger. They don't want to leave. And they are willing to destroy everything. Yep. I love it. So, yeah, let them turn undead. Yep. Use the mechanics. buy them time. (laughs) Yeah, use the mechanics to your advantage (laughs) to make things even more, even more scary for your, for, for the players. I, I, I love it. Um, okay. Yeah, this, this is good. Um, uh, I, I love talking about this stuff. It, it, it gets me excited. Uh, (laughs) and I, I love talking about all of the supernaturals in the, in D and D as well. Um, do you have a favorite story? Uh, do you have a favorite story of uh, maybe one of the campaigns that we've been in or one that you've watched of uh, of a horror kind of setting? Do you have any personal favorites? I'm trying to think of oh, what my favorite Oh, so is. many. Uh, <laughs> what's your favorite? I'm trying to think. Um, I, I actually don't know what my favorite... It's it's hard because I can only think of the most recent one that we had, uh, the one that you're talking about with the um, the cabin or the uh, the mansion uh, in Icewind Dale. Yes. Um, but I'm trying to think of of another one that's like a personal favorite. I my favorite moment. I can't think. Uh, I I absolutely loved Curse of Strahd running it with uh, I ran it with Tracy, uh, our friend Adam, and. Uh, our friend Blair, and that that was absolutely uh, intense with fear at many times. One of my favorites was a moment where the party was given a... They were given two objectives. Uh, one of the NPCs, um, Irina, wanted to go to the old bone grinder <laughs> because she, she felt like like she would get answers there about a story plot thing that we had going on. And the party also needed to return a wedding dress to the abbot, which was in the opposite direction. So the party on their own, without me encouraging them to do so, decided to split up. Now, mind you, the party had split up before and things were okay. So they decided to split up and they went in one direction uh, two of them went in one direction to return the wedding dress. The other one, Adam, went to the old bone grinder with three NPCs. 
I will not name these NPCs as to not spoil Curse of Strahd for anybody, but one of these NPCs was actually Strahd in disguise. So they go to the old bone grinder. They have a terrible battle with the witches there who are cooking and eating people. And, you know, they see all these horrific sights. It is a tough, it is a tough touch-and-go battle where they are nearly killed. And they finally, at the end, with the help of that NPC who is secretly Strahd, are able to defeat these witches. But the, the group of them, Adam and these NPCs, are close to death's door. And the way I think I ran that is I let you guys, I let Tracy and Blair, I let them play some of those NPCs. So that way they could still do stuff. Afterwards, Adam goes and investigates the old bone grinder. And upstairs, he opens a curtain and he sees a nightmare. A black horse with flaming hair floating just in the air right outside the old bone grinder. And that horse belongs to Strahd. But here it is. And as he sees it, he hears the voice of Strahd behind him. Did you really think you could take her from me? And as he turns around and sees Strahd, I say to Adam, Adam, do we have to roleplay this? Do we have to role combat? And Adam knew that there was no way he was taking on Strahd. So he just said to me, no. And I was like, okay, let's cut to the other players. You've delivered the wedding dress. What would you like to do? Uh, let's go check on our friends. And when they got to the old bone grinder, it was on fire. And one of their NPC friends was hurt. The other one was missing. And they ran inside and they find what remains of Adam's character, a paladin just strewn about the place bloodied just a mess and that was my favorite moment when the player knew I'm dead yep. and the party knew oh he's dead Yeah, and <laughs> we got to just play that out That that's one of my favorite horror moments ever mm-hmm. um, it was pretty horrifying it, it, we, yeah. so we had in Curse of Strahd, so I like uh, talking about my favorite horror setting or just horror in general. Definitely Curse of Strahd. Um, when we went into it, I think we thought it would be kind of more adventure. We were like, "Oh yeah, you know, we're gonna take on this evil vampire lord, and you know, we're gonna we're gonna have love and romance and happiness, and it's gonna be an adventure." It was not an adventure, and uh, we quickly learned that. Um, that it was actually just a lot of um, dread and fear. And I think that was one of the moments where we truly feared for our characters um, in general. And we wondered if we would make it out of here. Uh, and, And that feeling is like, I can't even express as a player how cool of a feeling that was. Uh, My first time playing Curse of Strahd, where you really felt... This is, you know, you really felt hopeless for a second, and um, it's it's great to have that in 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 your your setting and your story. So, um, Curse of Strahd is a perfect horror, uh, you know, D and D. Not I, I, perfect, but it's a very good horror campaign for D and D. I would say, um, I, I, yeah, I do there, remember another one. If you want to hear it, yes. 
This goes way, way back. This was our first campaign at Corsair. Yeah. Uh, one of their first assignments was to go and investigate this haunted house. Yes. And find out why it was haunted and find out, uh, basically put an end to the haunting. So there was a poltergeist there. And the party had to fight this thing. And, and the poltergeist... The other great thing about ghosts is just because the party kills a ghost doesn't mean you, the DM, have to kill the ghost. Maybe that ghost just dematerializes, but will come back later. You see this in horror movies and shows all the time. Um, and that's okay. You know, you gave them the encounter. You can give them the encounter again later. Um, it means that they've pushed the ghost away, but they haven't figured out why the ghost is here. So the party investigate it, and they, you know, they find the ghost, but they're not able to find out what caused it, but they do go up in the attic, and they, this is after they were able to make the ghost go away. They decide to, like, rummage through the attic, and they find a chest in the attic, and the chest uh, actually turns out to be a mimic, and near the chest is a receipt for said chest uh, at a shop uh, called uh, Seymour Goods. And uh, <laughs> Seymour, like the person's name, Seymour. And so they kill this chest, but they think, well, it's weird that this receipt is so fresh. Let's, uh, you know, the, the quest is over. We've, we've exercised the ghost, so... Let's let's go ahead and move on and, and see if we can find out what happened and maybe what's the deal with this receipt. So they go to Seymour Goods and Seymour is a scrawny guy with glasses and he you know, he's kind of intimidated by the characters and Tracy's character Rayla and our friend Lauren's characters Ava. Um Ava, right? Yeah. It was Ava, uh, yeah. They both go and they kind of in convince this guy to let them go see his special inventory. And he's like, oh, well, yeah, I, I got I got more in the basement if you want to see. So he lets them go in the basement. The rest of the party is kind of waiting outside because this is just an investigation. You know, they expect no danger. And when Ava and Rayla go into the basement, what they find is as they go in there, he knocks over a shelf and and basically barricades them into this cellar. And in the cellar, they find three mimics. And the mimics shout out, Feed us, Seymour! Feed us! <laughs> Just like Little Shop little of shop Horrors. Of horrors. Which, which is what I was going for. Yeah. Hence the name Seymour. And basically, <clears throat> Seymour had been growing these mimics and unsure of what to do with them because he had like an infestation. Has just been selling them to lonely people uh, women who have lost their husbands in war in this city that was uh, tattered by war. And so it was so terrifying because they realized what happened to that woman who became the poltergeist, why she died, and they were about to experience it firsthand. Um, and so there was that moment of brevity where it's like, oh, little shop of horrors, except you're finding out way too late. Yep. And that's that was a great moment for horror, in my opinion. I, I absolutely loved it. 
Yeah, and they that, were terrified. That was that was a good one. And and since then, I've hated mimics forever and ever and ever. It's it's you it, say that about every monster I send at you. <laughs> and since then, I hated. Uh, I hated gelatinous cubes forever. <laughs> or whatever it might be, yeah. <laughs> Since then, I hated oozes. Since oh. then, I hated mind flayers. <laughs> Since then, I hated rakshasas forever. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, and you would have thought that, you know, Seymour and this mimic, I, I didn't put two and two together that there was a Little Shop of Horrors reference, so I'm, I'm very, I'm very sad. <laughs> and, and, yeah, I was the one who had to deal with it. it was, that was a good one. That was a good one for sure. Uh, all right. Um, we're getting toward the end here as uh, we'll be transitioning to uh, our Waterdeep campaign uh, momentarily. Uh, are there any other things, George, that uh, you want to add or any last final things that you'd like to share about horror? Um. Develop a good poker face. Oh, that's if hard. If your players don't know what's coming, it's going to be a lot easier to scare them. Yeah, um, that's... But no, otherwise, that's it. I'm excited. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't have a good bo- poker face, so I was really bad at that. I pro- probably was bad at it in Curse of Strahd when I ran it. It was probably bad. Uh, so, uh, yeah, good poker face. That's, a, that's, a, that's some good advice. <laughs> uh... It's okay. You'll, you'll get there. Yeah. You yeah. got to play more Among Us and and Secret Hitler and th- things like that. And you'll you'll develop a good poker face. Yeah. It's just the trick is just becoming numb to all the horrible things you're doing. <laughs> I find the more that I do it the less that I flinch. Yeah, you're pretty good at it actually. You don't really show any sort of emotion uh when things happen. So that's it's a good skill to develop as a dungeon master. Is to just not show any emotion to what's happening to your players. In our, me and Bijan actually went back in our most one of our most recent noble games when you were, uh, you had a chance to possibly romance Dritz Duradin, and Bijan did something secretly to ruin that horribly, uh, and. The way he did it is he messaged me privately while I was DMing and said, I would like to do this. And the moment I saw it, I knew it was going to blow up in his face and blow up in your face. And so we went back and watched the video to see when, because I responded to him when I saw it. And so we went back and watched the video of the game for the exact time slip. And it was, it was like, as I was grabbing a drink, I was just like, yeah, uh uh-huh, uh-huh. (laughs) <laughs> and I just did this one smile. No! Because no one knew about the message, you had no idea what the context was. And I just smiled, and I was just like, yeah. Oh, that's great. That's great. Yeah. Oh, my God. I, I, back and watched, I was like, oh, man, it was too good. I could not completely keep that poker face. But the trick is, let the emotions out when they don't know. And then later, like, laugh, like, oh, ha, ha, yeah, it's funny. You're you're killing the townspeople. <laughs> I'm going to kill them so much. You know? Yeah, yeah. uh, (laughs) That's pretty great. We talk about this in our Vampire the Masquerade game, too. Our our storyteller, Mathis, doesn't have the best of poker faces, so we've caught on to it. And that's a really bad thing when when your players are like, oh, he's making that face. We know what that means. Uh (laughs) So it can be funny, but also if you want to keep that suspense there or keep them shrouded in mystery, it's good to... 
it's good to train yourself. And if you <laughs> you can't have no expression, the other trick is have the same expression the whole time. Mm-hmm. If you're always smiling, well, then you don't know. <laughs> what would you like to do next? <laughs> would you like to go through that door? Are you sure? And then you're just like... And uh... if you're just always smiling, they will never know what's really coming. <laughs> These are all amazing tips, uh, everybody. <laughs> like, this is... <laughs> This is a very important part of uh, of telling your story for your D&D players. No lie. Uh, okay, everybody. I think that's it for us um, for the, the D&D Talks segment of the stream. Um, we're going to take a quick break, set everything up, and then we're going to continue with Waterdeep Dragon Heist. Um, so don't go anywhere. We're going to have more D&D after this. Uh, thanks, George, for once again talking about uh, D&D stuff. It's always fun. My pleasure. Yeah. It's... I love to be here. Yep. And thanks, everybody, in chat for, uh, you know, hanging out and, and engaging and asking some, some good questions. Um, as and always. if you have other ideas yep. for episodes, now's the time to bring it up or uh, while we're playing our next game. Yep. 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 Uh, yeah. So we, um, I, I have an idea for the next one that we're going to do. I'm thinking the, the, the romance one. Um, oh, no. Oh. Oh, yes. Romance. Yes. See, See, we went, Tracy did this on purpose. We did horror this week because we're going to do, we're going to do romance, which is my horror. <laughs> That's the thing that I get scared about. George hates See, it. See, she did this on purpose. This no. is something George will like is to talk about scaring players. Now, how to scare your DM romance in your campaign. No, I did it because Halloween is in two weeks and the next time we do this Halloween will be over uh, so, so we're not going to wait till Valentine's Day to do romance as a <laughs> we're, we're going to do it immediately okay. yes yeah. so um, yeah so we do this kind of uh, bi-weekly now every other week um, so we won't do D&D Talks next week we will have our session of course uh, but the following week uh, we will do our next uh, little D&D Talks and of course we have I upload these uh, you can watch the VOD on Twitch you can watch the VOD on YouTube if you prefer YouTube and or you can just listen to it I upload them um, to our podcast uh, which you can listen to on Spotify if you want to just some people like to just listen while they do stuff so uh, I you know upload just the audio of it to to Spotify so or iTunes or whatever. So feel free to give a listen to some of our previous episodes and uh, we'll be back. Um, actually, we'll be back momentarily for more D&D, so don't go anywhere. Uh, yeah, thanks everybody. See you in a few minutes. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.